Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jason Grantland, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we are on the precipice of the 2023 draft and the futures game our busiest week of the year we're excited we're ready to go we've got a ton to talk about today we're going to talk about who is going to go number one we're going to we're going to give you odds we're going to handicap the candidates to go number one overall of course dylan cruz and paul Skeens have been at the top of the list all year but there are some other candidates to discuss one of those candidates max clark is going to join us on the podcast today jonathan had a chance to talk to him we are going to break down the best tools in the class best hitting prospect in the draft class best power who has the best speed arm best fielder fastball curveball slider changeup, control all that we're going to go through that and then we will do a little something that we have done for the past few years there is no home run derby at the futures game unfortunately yet maybe one day maybe one day soon but for the past few years i mean it's always kind of been an unofficial home run derby because everybody watches uh, I, I should say batting practice has always been kind of an unofficial home run derby at the futures game because everybody watches people uh keep count of how many home runs each guy's each guy hits it's kind of a thing uh, but we've we've made it slightly less unofficial over the past few years because jim and jonathan have drafted squads we've kept count jonathan won two years ago Jim won in resounding fashion last year. We'll draft teams. And then something that uh, we do even more often, more frequently than drafting futures game home run derby teams. We'll wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. All right, guys. Draft time. Are you ready? I know Jim's Jim's ready. He's He's been chomping at the bit for, for weeks. When I said I was scared that the draft was so soon, he was excited, not scared. <laughs> know his position. Jonathan. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same, but I still think that I I my my body clock is still set to the old timing. So this this time period from like the draft already happened. June, yeah, no, well, <laughs> I wish no, but I think like we get to that beginning of June area, and I still kind of feel like all right, let's go. Um, and then we have a whole month, and it's great. We get to you know provide a lot more content, and the combine happens, and guys go to summer leagues and get to show off one last time things like that it's great but i definitely have this sort of internal clock that's like why hasn't this happened yet it's about to happen so i'm ready all right uh it'll be it'll be coming to you uh of course live the draft on mlb network espn mlb.com starting out on sunday 7 p.m eastern pregame show 6 eastern and then on Days two and three, Monday and Tuesday, that'll be two Eastern. You can catch every pick on MLB.com. So guys, every pick, let's start with number one. Let's lay some odds down here. Um, I know you guys have had 
Dylan Cruz in the number one spot of the mock draft all the way up until last week, and Skeens popped in. At no, that was two one. weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Oh, I sorry, two, last week. That's right. Two weeks ago. Where do we stand now? If you had to say who would go number one, who goes number one on Sunday to the Pirates, who is it? Well, I'm going to preface this by saying that this is similar to last year where we don't know. Like there's not. (laughs) And and we won't. Yeah. In the old days, the good old days, you'd find out a week in advance, you know, who was going number one. They would tell the team behind them and, and you could go from there. We're, I think, Jonathan, I want to say we found out Henry Davis is going number one maybe two minutes before the draft started two years ago when the Pirates had number one pick. And so I will say and the, the, the dirty secret with mock drafts is it's more we're trying to make educated guesses. We don't have insight. So if you read anybody's mock draft, they're like, oh, this is going to happen or this is going to happen. No, you're, you're, you're guessing what's going to happen. So I will – I still think – my, my and I've told you guys, <laughs> my biggest weakness doing mock drafts is I get in my head if I don't know who's going to go in a spot, who I think the team should pick, which are two different things. And I think they, I think the majority of teams would take Dylan Cruz number one. Most teams think they're going to take Dylan Cruz number one, so I will continue to lean Dylan Cruz number one. And the whole notion they 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 could cut a deal, they could save money. But A, it's going to be hard to push guys to 42, pick 42, their next pick. B, this isn't the Henry Davis draft. There's lots of guys who deserve to go number one. And C, they have so much money in the draft, they can take whoever they want and still have a bunch of money. So in my head slash heart, I still think they're going to take the consensus best guy, which is Dylan Cruz. How about you, Jonathan? Because you had Skeens going number one in your last draft. I did. And, you know, it, it was... Because it is a strong possibility, and we'll we'll go through our odds in, in a little bit. Uh, you know, I I still think there is the strong possibility, as we've discussed. You know, Paul Ske- like you, you don't find pitching like that, and then and so how do you weigh that against the inherent risk? Um, so I still think that Cruz has the slight edge, and we came in at a thirty nine percent. Chance that the crew is very scientific. Hours on our super individual supercomputers crunching numbers. That's right. That that's right. So we still think that he is the favorite for for those reasons you know, laid out. The both of those guys are going to be quick to the big leagues too. And I think to your point, Jim, we were saying you start thinking about well, who should they take? I know in some ways it's harder not to do that at one one because you think they should take the best player. And unlike 2021, when there was no consensus who the best player was, maybe there are two best players now, but there, any of the top five are guys who, have we, as we've discussed many times before, in another year might be the favorite to go number one. So there are a lot of really good choices. And I don't think at the end of the day, you know, whoever they take is, is going to uh, be a guy who shaves that much money off that it's that big of a uh, a contributing factor to the decision making. Okay, so what are the odds of Skeens going number one in your estimation? What did your <laughs> these, this, this is scientific? It's not our estimation. What did the supercomputer say? Scientifically determined odds on each of these players. So we said thirty nine percent for Cruz and twenty eight percent for Paul Skeens. 
and I think that, you, you know, it's, it's narrowed a little bit. If we had done this, if we had put all the factors into our supercomputer a month ago, probably Cruz would have been what over 50% or at least 50%. Uh, I think that the, the space between Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens uh, ha- has narrowed a bit. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's funny because if you go into who they should pick, <laughs> again, we don't know who they're going to pick. So Cruz is who we think most teams would pick. And then Skeens is the guy, Jonathan, I think they should pick because it's so hard to find pitching. He's a once in a decade pitcher. If you don't draft Paul Skeens, you got to sign him as a free agent. And the Pirates aren't signing Paul Skeens as a free agent if he's as good as we think he is, and he's commanding a $400 million contract down the road. So it, it's tough doing these mock drafts because I do think if I were running the Pirates, and I'm not as of the time we're recording this podcast, they haven't reached out to me. <laughs> Things could change. They could. You know, Ben Sherrington might say, look, we could use some help. This is a tough pick. Um, I would pick Paul Skeens personally, number one, and I, I feel yep. like we've discussed this, and you would too. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on that camp now as well. And you'd be easier hire for the Pirates because you're there already. They wouldn't right, no moving. You wouldn't no have to move. Costs. Like you could just commute from home. So, um, yeah. Okay, and third on the list is we've got Max Clark, the pride of Indiana. Best prospect ever produced by the Indiana high school ranks. And our computers came up with 19% for Max Clark. Now, the things Max has going for him are, one, he's got the most well-rounded tool set of all the players we're going to discuss here, which is four outfielders and a pitcher. He's got the least power of any of them, but it's average power. He's not like a, a slap hitter. And, you know, plus hitter, well above average speed, arm, defense, so he's got the most well-rounded game, and I still think he's the most likely to go five. It's close between him and Walker Jenkins, and I think he's definitely the most willing to take a deal to move up and to go number one. So that's that's where we kind of come up with with nineteen percent. Is, is that fair, Jonathan? Yeah, for for all the reasons you said, and again, as I said, I don't think it's going to be the same kind of situation as maybe it was with Henry Davis. I, I don't think they would shave quite as much off, but he would likely sign for a smaller amount than anybody else. And then, you know, as I I, I think it was a, my last mock where I put schemes one, I kind of explained how I thought they were going to whittle it down. Um, and kind of putting guys into buckets. Skeens is on his own because it's his own category. He's the only pitcher. And then you look at the you know the the two college outfielders and the two high school outfielders somewhat separately, um, like almost like it's a tournament bracket. Uh, and you know, so I, I do think that you know you'd end up with Cruz ahead of Wyatt Langford, who we haven't discussed, and then Clark over Jenkins uh, in the high school bucket, uh, which is moves Clark up you know, into the, into the semifinal, so to speak. And, and, you know, entering into that consideration isn't just like, oh, we might like Max Clark more than Walker Jenkins as a player, but also the fact that, you know, the, uh, the amount of money that they might be able to save, you know, that would be whatever percentage more than any of the other players in this top five. And I'm actually, my computers, Jonathan, have spit out those numbers for you. The the no. slot is worth nine point seven million dollars. <clears throat> I think you could get Cruz done for about nine point two million, 
Skeens for 9.1 and Max Clark might be 7.75 million. Um, so you could, you know, it might be 8 million. Well, even if it's eight, maybe yeah. even if it's eight or even if it's eight and a half, I don't think you have still, to go eight and a half you know, on him, but yeah, I'm right. telling my computers, Jonathan precisely uh-huh. calculated it 9.2, 9.1. And we've got seven, <clears throat> we'll call it 7.8 million for Max Clark. If he goes number one. Okay. The, those are the top three. Fourth most likely to go number one to the pirates would be. That would be Wyatt Langford, uh, the aforementioned, uh, Florida outfielder, uh, I mean, we have him at 12%. Need to edit, um, edit in some uh, calculating uh, noises. 12% correct. Supercomputer calculation. <laughs> yes. $8.5 million estimated bonus if he goes 1-1. One, one. Wow. I like now that you, providing I like estimated that. bonuses. 8.5 like to 8.7, yeah. Right. And if you want, if you give us a little more time, Jim can estimate when each of them will make their big league debut, but we'll save that for another time. It's not Jim. I, you know, I just, Jim's supercomputer. Jim's supercomputer, right. But he's he's manning the helm. You know, it's, it's um, so, you know, I think, like, like I said before, uh, when you're comparing Cruz and Langford, Cruz is going to win that conversation. And then you'll have to start to to think about well, the amount of money you would save on Wyatt Langford, is that enough to overcome the fact that Dylan Cruz is perceived to be a better prospect than Wyatt Langford? And I think the answer is going to be no, but it's not a like a, a, a 0% chance, which is why he's at, at 12% because you know there could be the determination that it may even be negotiating with Dylan Cruz isn't worth the, you know, the hassle as they've floated out you know, $10 million price tags or that he doesn't want to go to Pittsburgh or whatever it is, um, that could enter into play a little bit more, which means he's in, in a fairly distant fourth position based on on the, the calculated odds, but not at the bottom or not 0%. I, I'm going to update the supercomputer. I, I just re-ran the inputs. 8.7 million. I should say 8.7 million Langford. So I think you'd okay. save about 500000 compared to Dylan Cruz, which, as you say, Jonathan, isn't a lot of money. I will say it's interesting. I mean, there are people out there, and you've talked to them too, I'm sure, yep. who like Langford more than Cruz. Um, you know, I think the consensus would be that Cruz is a better hitter. Langford has more power. Cruz is a better athlete with more experience and a better chance to play center field. But it's close. And I, and I know guys out there, not necessarily the team would make the decision, but high-level decision makers who personally – would take Langford over Cruz. And like you said, like, like what if it's a situation where you feel like, okay, we're, we'll eventually get Cruz done for 9.2. We can't turn down 9.2, but it's going to take us all summer. It may restrict us. It may make it difficult for us to sign other guys at the last second. You know, if you remember years ago, Hunter Green signed with what, like 10 seconds before the deadline. Right. And the Reds had a deal worked out with Tommy Mace to sign him out of high school. And they didn't have time to complete the deal because Hunter Green you know, waited until the last second to try to get, you know, every dollar that he could. And so it, it could be like, like you kind of suggested, Jonathan, that you might say, ah, like we're, we, we feel like we'll get Cruz done, but it's going to take all summer. It may make it difficult to sign other guys. And we think these guys are close and we like Wyatt Langford for, for $500,000 less. I, I actually feel I'm with you. I, I think we both rank these guys in the same order too, or, or our computers did, but, um, mm-hmm. I actually think Langford's got a better chance than than fans think he does. Like he's, it's weird. It's he. I actually feel like he's underrated, Jonathan, because it's been cruise, cruise, cruise all season, and Langford's really, really good. And I think yeah. if Langford had been in the twenty twenty one draft, he would have been the clear cut number one pick. 
He might have been. And and I think, as I said before, <clears throat> if he had played center field this year and showed that he could play center field, that might have closed the gap some. Okay, let's wrap this up with number five on our list of the most likely draft prospects to go number one overall. And that, I would imagine, will be Walker Jenkins. It is. And if you if, if fans were keeping score at home and they do the math, 2% chance, only 2% remaining out of our theoretical 100%. <laughs> and uh, both, this was one where both our computers came up with the exact precise calculation of 2%. We had some, So this is guaranteed. This is guaranteed 49 to 1 odds that, that Walker Jenkins goes 1-1. I just think he's the least likely to cut a deal. I think he'd maybe, I'm going to, my computer's got an $8 million valuation slightly ahead of Max Clark if he goes number one. Um, I just don't think he's going to cut a deal. I, I think he's the least likely to cut a deal to go one. Like if the Pirates come down to, hey, okay, these price tags are crazy. What's the the best budget buy? I think that's going to be Max Clark. But Jenkins, it's interesting. Jenkins, if he if he went to college, which he's not because he can go high enough in the draft, I think three years from now he would look like White Langford does today. Like like if, I, I think he has a chance to be a very similar player to White Langford. He just hasn't proven it at the SEC level. Uh, I would agree with that. I have a name for our supercomputer. I think we, we can we can workshop this. But right now it's No Posk, number one pick. Odds supercomputer. I like, I like it. it. Yep, that's Thank good. You. you know what it didn't uh, what it didn't factor into the equation though. We have we have no uh, percentage points left to give out to the field. Zero percent. Zero percent. My computer it, immediately turns back zero yes. percent. Yeah, it, my supercomputer okay. laughed at you even suggesting. <laughs> All right. So it's it's one of these five guys guaranteed. Is yes. what yes. your super is what no Posk is saying. All right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, well there we'll you go. Say this: if it's somebody else, if it's not one of these five guys, both Jonathan and I will resign in shame, and Sam Dykstra <laughs> can do update all thirty top thirties. So. Wow, <laughs> that's how confident we are. We will resign in shame. We will. We will return for our next podcast. We will complete our draft duties. We will do next week's podcast, and then then we're out. Hang so. your heads in shame. All right. Yes. <laughs> Sam's going to listen to this and either, spit Jonathan. out his I, coffee. I, I don't. I don't know if I don't know if Jonathan appreciated me putting his job on the line as well. But <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. All right. Uh, <laughs> we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, hear from one of those five who's guaranteed to uh, go number one overall. Not that this guy's guaranteed to go number one overall. One of those five guys, guaranteed by no cost to go number one overall. But we're going to talk to. Max Clark, that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, and I'm pleased to, I guess we say, bring back to the podcast 
uh, because Max, you joined us from PDP League last summer. So Max Clark, welcome back to the Pipeline Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, it's good to catch up again. We've been chatting, so glad we finally got something situated where we can uh, get on Zoom again. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny, before we kind of dig in, I was thinking about it. PDP League must seem like 4 million years ago to you. It literally, it seems like it was like just an etern full eternity ago. Like it's unreal how far away, like the last 12 months, how stressful it's been, how active it's been traveling and working out, playing an entire high school season, plus the entire off season last year. Like PDP was the first event of last year. And then I had the entire summer plus off season plus high school. So um, definitely seems like forever ago, but I'm, I'm glad we're, uh, we're a year, year, year forward now. Yeah. As we're, as we're recording this, the uh the next pdp league is gonna is getting started soon um yeah. so that, that's that's crazy enough but let's start with what you've done most recently i know you went out to arizona for the combine uh before people wonder what i mean by that because they didn't see you launching balls into the seats during batting practice or anything like that uh you know jim and i have talked a lot about this but i think one of the key benefits for everybody is that that ability to go and talk to teams in person uh, and I know that that was what you were kind of focusing on. What was that process like? You're, you're used to people watching what you do on the field. What was this whole thing like going and, and talking to a bunch of interested teams like? I absolutely loved it. Um, I sat down with a really, really good group of guys throughout the entire week. So um, I had an absolute blast with it. Um, I love those settings. It's really nice to put names with faces, and it's a lot better than Zooms and phone calls the entire high school season. So um, finally getting a chance to kind of go out there and sit down with with a lot of high-level guys, learn from them, uh, talk about their organization's philosophy, things like that. Um, that's huge. I mean, people uh, sometimes undervalue the makeup piece of it, but it really does play a big part in those organizations because they want the right guy leading their organizations and clubhouse. So um, getting a chance to go out there and sit down with them was huge. And then obviously the media outlets as well was a lot of fun, like ESPN and MLB Network and Fangraphs. Those were all really, really cool as well. So um, definitely couldn't have gone wrong there. And it was, a, it was an exciting, it was an exciting day. So. You feel like you walked away accomplishing what you wanted to, obviously decisions are yet to be made in most draft rooms and you're aware of that, but you've, you know, in a lot of ways, this is your, your last chance to make a last impression as a, as a, as a human. And they've done all the reporting on you as a player as possibly could be done at this point, but do you feel like, you know, you, you, you checked off the boxes you wanted to. Absolutely. Uh, went in there kind of clear headed, not really knowing what to expect other than a lot of interview questions. But walking out of there, I was really, really satisfied. Um, I feel like I left a lot of good marks on people um, and just kind of showed a side that some people may not know. I mean, some people only know the player on the field. Um, and especially, you know, if you only know them for the year that you're watching them, it's sometimes hard to know about what goes on off the field. So um, there's a lot of cool things to talk about that I've been doing off the field and just kind of getting to know the kind of person I am, et cetera. So um, definitely walked out of there accomplished. Um, I think people were really happy and excited and I got a few laughs in some rooms as well. So that's always plus in the brownie point, uh, category. So as long as, long as you remind them to tip their waitresses on the way out. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so let, let's dig into that a little bit. You know, I think we live in a, in an age where high school players are probably known more than they have ever just because of social media. You have not been one to shy away from that. Uh, you know, I guess the, the, the question would be, you know, who, who are you? Cause I think there's the player 
and the tools. And then there's the personality of which you have plenty. Um, but you know, like in these interviews, that was an opportunity for you to kind of show like, uh, like what's under the hood. So I, I guess I'm asking you what's under the hood. So there's so many, so many things under the hood. Um, and you know, like you said, big personality, um, and that, that translates over to off the field as well. Um, I've always been, you know, the giver, um, obviously being raised by my mother who was a school teacher, she was always one giving back their community. So I've always been stuck in that same loop and I've been blessed to be stuck in that same loop. Um, and I've done like a lot of really cool things with some youth groups the past couple of weeks, um, a couple of charity foundations that I've been working with throughout the, uh, the year. So all of those things kind of tied into the main, the main talking points in those interviews. Um, but it's just like, that's who I really am. And when I play, um, it's kind of playing for community as well as myself. So uh, those are like the values that I take into the game as well as I take into off the field. So, um, you know, looking back at it, this year has been a blast, um, but I really kind of learned how to give uh, with my talent as well. Um, and that was one of the coolest things that I probably could have taken away from this season. So um, it was it was really cool to talk about, you know, the entirety of under the hood there with those guys. And it was it was a blast. Um, but truly, just the only thing that I would say to state it in one sentence is I like to give and that's that's who I really am. So those were the main those are the main things that we discussed throughout the entire process a couple of days ago in Arizona. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, people who don't know you and only see glimpses of you, um, you don't lack confidence. You don't shy away from that. And you have a very strong social media presence. Like I know you've seen, you know, you've seen trolls on social media, but, but even people who aren't trolls, I think for some, maybe more traditional baseball folks, it's a, it's a lot, you know, yeah. do you, do you, do you see that? And I'm not asking you to kind of like refute those claims, but you know, what is your take? Cause you know, you and I've gone to know each other a little bit better and I know that that's not like totally who you are. I mean, it's, it is part of who you are. It's not, it's not fake, but you know, are there times where people have tried to tell you like, you need to dial it down a little bit. Surprisingly enough, I've never had someone straight up come and be like, you need to tone it down. Um, I, I, you know, I've had my few share of, you know, question raisers that may not understand or just asking what the significance is, which is totally fair. I mean, it's a new age. Um, but like the example that I always give them is the amount of 13, 14, 15 year old young baseball players that need guidance or a role model or an inspiration is is growing each and every day. Um, and having an outlet like I have with, you know, half a million, three quarter of a million followers across social media platforms is a huge platform to go out and help those kids. Um, and I've, I've been in that position as a 13 year old where. I wanted to fit in with the older guys or I needed a, a question answered by an older guy and I never really heard back from them or, you know, I just didn't get their time of day. Um, and it's kind of been my, my ride and my, my, um, like what I've been doing for these kids is when they come to me and they have questions or they, they hit the DM with, you know, how can I do this? What, what do I need to do here? Um, I try and take time out of my day to help those kids. Cause I can remember being in the same spot as them with, uh, with no guidance or, you know, just a little bit of extra help or maybe even a good luck or just a little bit of confidence from somebody. Um, and like you said, I don't lack it. So I can always share a little bit um, for them, make them smile a little bit. Um, so that's that's like the main purpose of this. And another thing you said is it's not fake. Um, and that's that's I think that's why my social media is as big as it is. 
Um, I'm an incredibly transparent person on social media and everything you see on there is the real me, um, which people have grown to like. Um, and you know, you have family relationships, you have your friends, uh, actual relationships off the field activities, whether that's like golf or like, that's what we're getting around to get ready to throw something up about a golfing event that I was doing for a charity. Like, that'll be really cool. Um, there's stuff at the lake. There is, like I said, other family events, all this stuff. It's just really who I am. Um, so kind of taking away from that is that people are seeing the real me on social media and it allows them to feel connected or related with so they feel more comfortable asking questions and you know reaching out because i've always said like in a lot of these interviews i'll just be like yeah i mean i always take the time out of my day to answer these kids so there's more and more coming of them to ask or find out questions and things like that so um it's really good to have such a big platform especially when i've learned to use it correctly um and obviously i'm blessed to have a platform like that because the support has been tremendous was that something you set out to do, uh, you know, or was it something that you noticed that it was starting to grow? So let me work with some folks, um, you know, let, let me do it right. And what I mean, right, almost in a, you know, sort of professional way in terms of social media presence, um, you know, talk a little bit about how, you know, how all that evolved. Uh, it was it was a combination of both. Um, when I really found out like who the real me was and when I really found out what I had the chance of doing on the baseball field, that's when I kind of realized that I wanted to make a difference bigger than just me being good at baseball. Um, kind of like my my goal as a you know 15 year player, if that's what works out, is that I want to make a difference in the game outside of just the way I play a game. Um, and it kind of relates to how people always say, like, the best compliment you can receive is that you are a great teammate. I want to be a great teammate to my community, my state, the entire country, whatever it may be. Um, I'm just trying to be that lead, leading example um, as a baseball player. And I can use that using my play on the field. So, um, you know, when it started growing, obviously people started worrying about like how quickly it can turn, turn you and like how quickly you can get in trouble with it. And, you know, being a dumb 14 or 15 year old, I probably was being a smart, uh, smart behind a couple of times on Twitter. Um, like that's, that's definitely happened when I was like a freshman. So you know, I learned early and that was a, that was a gift for sure. It's rather to be caught calling a troll or a bot, an idiot when you were 14 than doing something you shouldn't at 18. So, um, you know, I learned early and that was big. Um, and I had a really big guidance and support group for that. So, um, like I said, it was a combo of both, but I knew that I wanted to do something bigger than just be good at baseball. And this was an easy way to start that process. All right, let's talk about the being good at baseball part a little bit because um, your persona shows up there and kind of I'll, I'll use this to sort of pivot because, you know, what do you say to the people who think that you're like on the field, it's too much, you know, the celebrations, the uh, the you wear your emotions on your sleeve almost as much as that that tattoo sleeve that I'm looking at right now. So, um, you know, what what do you say to people who think? You know, there's a difference between confidence and cockiness, and maybe sometimes you step over that line. I think they're probably entitled and fair to their their opinion, but um, you know, I've always been told you can't make everybody happy, so uh, always do what makes you happy. And you know, playing 110, percent playing with a smile, playing with flair—that's that's what makes me happy because I love the game. Uh, this game has given me so much, but it can also take that away in an instant. So why not go out there giving your last effort like it's your last game? We're going to have to have a little conversation about math so you realize you can't actually give more than 100%. That's not actually a thing, but I, I got your point. All right, that's fair. I'll, I'll respect <laughs> that. Um, 
I, I don't remember if we, we talked about this last summer, you know, but you're from a state that's not exactly been a, a hotbed of, of <laughs> baseball talent. Um, you know, being from Indiana, uh, you know, I live in Pennsylvania, so I get, you know, the whole cold state thing, but I'm curious, when did you realize that you were not just good for your area? You know, it's one thing to be, you know, really good in your little league or things like that. And this is true, even for players who aren't, you know, playing beyond high school, each level you have to like, how do I stack up? How do I stack up? Like, when was it that you're like, Oh, I, I might be able to, I might be able to do this for a while beyond my little, my little bubble of Indiana. Uh, I would definitely say the uh, 2021 Jupiter games uh, when I went down with team Indiana as a freshman. Uh, I mean, not only was I playing alongside a couple draft picks, I was also playing alongside juniors and seniors that were all draft class guys. So um, going down there, I mean, I was a nervous wreck. Like it was my first time ever playing in a WWBA. So like I had no clue what to expect. And I was just kind of going down there for the experience and to have fun. Um, and, you know, 8 a.m. Royal Scout team. It's an exhibition. I step in the box and like I can't even see the baseball uh, I'm getting folded by sliders. They had some Miami commit on the mound. And I was like, oh, OK, well, that's what it's going to be like this week. Um, and so that was a, that was an interesting awakening for sure. Um, but then the next day I came out and went like two for three and kind of got my feet wet. And then we were we were off to the races. And that's when I realized, like, this is this is a real chance um, to do something special in this game for the next couple of years. And that, I mean, I would imagine it goes from, oh, maybe I can play college to, oh, maybe I can do this professionally. You know, that, yeah. that's a, a, maybe it's a gradual transition, but you, you, you touched on something that I wanted to talk to you about. Cause when we talked to PDP, we were kind of in the middle of it. So we were kind of waiting to see uh, if I recall correctly, you were already talking about how you weren't thrilled with how you had been swinging the bat, but you thought you had figured something out. Your summer overall probably was not what you had hoped it to be, but clearly you went back to work you know, how do you use, they always say that old cliche, you know, baseball is a game of failure. Um, but I think it's true in life in general. It's like, well, when something doesn't go right or doesn't go your way, how do you react to it? You know, did you spend any time like sulking? You know, was there any like, man, I can't believe that just happened. Uh, I mean, you still got to play for Team USA and all that kind of stuff. But like, uh, how did you use that to fuel what your off season and then what the spring ended up looking like? Uh, I would say it was 100% fueled by that. Um, and, you know, I think it was good to have, kind of have my first setback um, because I truly did. I learned how to deal with failure. Um, and obviously, like, when you're a younger guy and you're you're the dude, those chances don't come when the, uh, when the skill gap is still a little wide. So, um, you know, freshman and sophomore year, like, it was just – it was video game numbers, stupid. It was a lot of fun. Um, junior uh, high school season was video game numbers and fun and just crazy. Um, and then that first – you know, three weeks of summer, it was just like, oh my God, you're the worst player to ever walk in the sport. So um, it was, it was definitely a good time to take a step back and realize like, how do we deal with this? How do we grow from this? And then how do we use it? Um, And, you know, the whole summer was up and down. Like I I think I'd have something figured out and I wouldn't even be close because the next day I would get my doors blown off by someone throwing an 81 mile an hour change up all day. Like it was just, it was an up and down summer um, and there was real no consistency. So, you know, back to the drawing board after Team USA, um, you know, I honestly, the one thing that stuck me out for the entire summer was I just kind of changed the approach every day and tried to figure out and do the best that I could. 
Um, but really once the summer was over, it was, it was right back to the drawing board. Um, didn't definitely did not sulk after the summer. I actually went straight back to figure something out. Um, I'm pretty sure. So the USA ended September 21st. I got home the 22nd and I was in the cages with a new swing by October 5th. That was my last lesson that completed my swing change. So definitely no time sulking. Um, and it was it was definitely an exciting adventure and a frustrating one because I'd never really gone through a swing change. So um, we were we were literally just we went through about 50 videos, um, broke them down on computer screens. We went through the whole 3D drawing with the iPad, stencil pen like it was it was nuts. Um, and it was it was a really cool process to be a part of. And, you know, um, taking a look back at it now, like I think it was the best thing that happened to me um, is was kind of just like playing terrible that summer, figuring out how to deal with failure, figuring out how to grow through it, um, figuring out how to be comfortable with change. Like there were a lot of really good lessons that I learned throughout last summer, even if I did not play well. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I still didn't you know, hurt myself necessarily. I played with a lot of, you know, still had a lot of fun, still played really hard showed off some tools and did 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 a good enough part to not be worried so coming into the spring I knew that I had to kind of separate myself from the pack after I kind of just stayed with the pack the summer prior so um, that's what I did I mean you saw the numbers it was it was crazy um, and obviously going into the next three weeks it's going to be exciting so um, well I'm excited to see how it kind of carries over into, into professional baseball or division one baseball whatever it may be um, but I'm really excited with the growth that I had and how to learn how to uh, learn through failure. So it'll be exciting. Now that you're done with the interviews, you know, now there's going to be probably what seems like a ridiculously lengthy period of time between now and draft day. But have you allowed yourself to start thinking about what it's going to be like to hear your name called wherever it is in that in you know that top of the first round? Oh man, that's such a tough question because. The, the, the easiest answer is yes. Like it comes up every once in a while. Um, but for me, it's like, I don't, I don't even like want to yet. I still feel like there's like, it's like, it's like everybody's got to hurry up and wait is what mm -hmm. I keep thinking of. And it's just like, that's, that's not how it works. So, I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, enjoy these last three weeks, last two weeks at home um, with my people working out every day. Still um, I picked up ridiculous amount of tea times over the next 14 days. So I'm excited for that part as well. Um, you know, I've got a couple of youth camps here before I go away. So, um, you know, let's just, let's go, let's hurry up and wait. And yeah, you know, I can't wait for the moment to come obviously, but I've just, I'm trying too hard not to think about it. I think there's still so much that can go so many different ways. It's like a five factorial. So uh, that's, that's how I've been thinking of it is this, this class is only a five factorial. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. There's five players, 25 outcomes. Like it's, it's insane the way it could go. So um, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm so, excited. I'm, so that math you can do, but a hundred percent, you don't quite understand that. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. I, I would say, I would say the 110% only applies to, to me. I see. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah that's my own math equation. That's here, how, here, that's how I'm gonna roll with here, it. here's my last, my last question, the hair. It's, I know okay. it's, it's like a trademark, like, um, it's not though, really. I guess it is. It's gone. The hair is so short now. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, have you seen me? That's not short hair. Okay, um, that's fair. <laughs> that's apples to oranges. We're, we're talking you, about skin. Yeah, we, that's we, apples to oranges. <laughs> were you worried that if you cut the hair, you would lose strength, like a Samson kind of thing? 
Dude, yes, I was. I cut it for Team USA, though, and I hit a bomb. So I was like, okay, never mind. I guess I'll just keep it short. And, you know, ever since, like, I don't know if you remember PDP, but my hair was long in PDP. Oh, I like, remember. It was, I had that uh, – oh, who was the guy? Oh, I had that Paxton hair last year or, like, during PDP. But, yeah. no, this year, like, during high school ball, it was short, short. I've just now kind of started letting it grow. Like, I, I think I need a haircut right now. Okay. So, so if that tells you anything. Growth and maturity right there. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Max, I think I look older too. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's easy to forget sometimes that like you're a kid. I hope you've had time to just be a kid during all of this. Yeah. I would, I would consider the golf tee times being a kid. That's my stuff. Uh, we, we're getting out there and like we're, uh, <laughs> we, we'll go out there and like bet on, uh, like the loser has to buy the drink at the pro shop because they're like $9. And I'm like, okay, I am, you know, I want, I wanted a small Coke and they're like, okay, you can, you can finance a mortgage and it'll be $39.99. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of upset about that one, but I've been playing well, so I haven't bought any Cokes yet. All right. Duly noted. All right, Max, as always, it's great to, uh, to spend some time with you. Draft is coming up. We'll be right back with more of the MLB pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Very happy to have Max Clark with us today. Thank you very much for joining us. Max, outstanding as always. We have a bunch still to talk about. Some more draft stuff. We're going to break down the top tools. We're also going to do our Futures Game unofficial home run derby draft and then answer a question from the mailbag. So let's get into the best tools in the draft class. Something we like to do every year is break down the best hitter, best power prospect, prospect with the best speed, etc. for hitters and pitchers. Let's uh, start with the hitters and start with the most important tool, the hit tool. Who has the best hit tool in the class of 2023? Yeah, we're going to have to be repeating a lot of the names we were just talking about in, in the first segment about who the Pirates to take number one, but that's still Cruz. Makes sense. It's, it's why he's the most, I think, consensus pick of most teams if, if they had the number one pick i mean unbelievable year he hit 426 he was the golden spikes winner he was the sec player of the year two years in a row he won a national championship he has plate discipline he tied for the ncaa division one lead with 71 walks and it's, it's just it's how many complete... games did he not reach base zero two no. i'll say two I think it was none, wasn't it? Zero. Zero. He reached every every game. Yeah, I think he reached okay. base every single game. I, I'm still thinking about that crazy Tommy Tank stat where he hit like 700 when Paul when <laughs> right. Dylan Cruz was on for, on base and 230 when he wasn't, which is impossible. But yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, Cruz. I mean, I think it's a 70 bat. He makes a lot of contact. He has a great approach. He draws a lot of walks. He uses the opposite field a lot. Like a lot of his power. I think most of his home runs went oppo instead of his pull side. Um, he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball consistently. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. Like last summer, he had some swing and miss concerns. He swung and missed a little bit with, T with Team USA, but he's controlled the strike zone and made hard contact better than ever this spring. I mean, I'm not saying he's perfect, but like the only quibble maybe you have with him as a hitter is he hits right-handed instead of left-handed. Um, it's it's a pretty advanced bat, and he's going to move really quick. So I, I think that one was a pretty easy 
a pretty easy choice. How many and his his hit tool grade is a 70. How many draft prospects have we had with a 70 hit tool? Maybe only Termar Johnson? I think it was. I think he was he was the first one to ever get it last year, That's right? That's a cautionary so, tale. And, and I think I think Jonathan, I think it's fair to say that we try not to go crazy with the hit grades. And I think most people in the industry think we're a little bit too conservative sometimes. Not that they want to throw out 70s and 80s on bats, but I, I want to say those probably are the only two. That is correct. Uh, tomorrow, Dylan Cruz, the only 70s. 65s uh, include Jacob Wilson this year, mm-hmm. uh, Brooks Lee, uh, Austin Martin, and <laughs> Nick Madrigal. Those are the only 65s. All right. Uh, moving along to power. Best power tool. And this is usable power, not raw power, correct? Correct. Correct. And I, you know, and I think that that's why Wyatt Langford uh, is, is the choice. Not that other guys don't have usable power, but his combination of raw power and bat speed uh and approach at the play. I mean, he's a 60 hitter, you know, so there's a lot of confidence that he's going to get to that power. And he certainly has done it the last couple of years, hit 26 homers last year to, to put him on the map, slugged 719. This year he had another 21 homers, slugged 784, had more walks than strikeouts this year to point to my, uh, you know, to prove my point about his his overall approach at the at the plate. So I, I think he got the, that edge of the 65 because of the confidence that he's going to continue to to get to that power at the next level. He joins a group of draft prospects to receive a 65 power grade, which includes Kyle Schwarber, Spencer Torkelson, Jacob Berry, Chris Shaw, Josh Naylor. Jacob Berry was a 65? So I don't think that's right. I, I'm disputing that. <laughs> I don't think. I, you, I like you, Jacob Berry. You Barry. made the grade for Jacob Berry. Come on now. I think he was a 65 hit. I, 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 he was, we had him, uh, says here he's a 60 hit. He was not power over hit. That, that's not correct. Okay. I'm disputing right. that right now. Sorry. No. Jacob Gatewood going, going back to 2014. Wow. And someone named Colton Kendrick. Who wants to vouch for Colton Kendrick's 65 power? That's not my guy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, let's move on to, let's move on to speed. We've got some 80s, as we often do. But who, who would you say is the best speed prospect in the draft class? I guess maybe not a, maybe not a difficult call, even though there are more than 180, or is it, eh. is it more of a toss-up than, than I, I might think, think? I think Enrique Bradfield would be the most famous of, of the 80 runners. You know, the Vanderbilt outfielder um, would be – the most obvious. I mean, there's a number of high school guys, Kendall George, Dylan Head, Adrian Santana. You know, with 80, any 80 runner, it's like I actually think Bradfield might have run slightly better as a freshman and sophomore than he did this year. He actually got – he went 46 for 46 stealing bases last year, and I think he got caught seven or eight times this year. But it's – his speed – and it's not just speed. It's ability to use it. He, he's, he's a wonderful base stealer. He's a tremendous defender in center field. You know, he gets a lot of Kenny Lofton comps. Um, that, that's the upside on him. I mean, it's interesting in the draft right now because I do feel like his stock has slipped a little bit because he hit 270 
two or something like that this year. Um, and, and his numbers went down and, and he might go more in the bottom half of the first round than the top half of the first round. But, but like I said, the good thing is not only does he have this top of the scale speed, he knows how to make the most of it. He's not just, you know, a raw athlete who, you know, isn't refined. He's a tremendous defender and a tremendous base stealer. Looking back at some past 80 runners, Trey Turner, Greg Jones, James Beard, not of uh, culinary fame, uh, Chandler Simpson last year. All right, best arm, and uh, we saw we saw this on display at the draft combine. Yeah, but before I talk about Cole Carrick, I want to point out that Colton Kendrick is a high schooler from Louisiana who uh-huh. was drafted year? in the eighth round of the 2015 draft. Really? So he is indeed Jeez. your guy, James Callis. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> but, embarrassed. But let's, let's even this out. Jim was right about Jacob Berry. The, 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 my supercomputer's uh, great input uh, somehow errant there. Okay. He was a 50, 55, not even 60. Okay. You were right, Jim. Um, all right, so uh, Cole best, Ke- best arm in the class. Yeah, yeah. Cole Carrig is the guy you're talking about. Uh, really interesting uh, guy from from uh, <clears throat> from SoCal, and you know, I think the the thing that's that's interesting about him is that he has played kind of all over the place. Um, not only during his time, uh, you know, in in college, but also uh, over the summer and, and things of that nature. San Diego State. Um, he didn't catch much, but he has caught a lot. I think a lot of teams will be interested because of that 70 arm. Uh, you guys saw him. Uh, we all saw him, but you guys saw him in person uh, at the combine with uh, some triple digit throws uh, from from the infield. Uh, and he's athletic enough where he could play a middle infield. He could play the outfield. Uh, I think uh, there will be teams that want to give him a shot behind the plate. Uh, and maybe he's a guy who moves around a lot, but uh that 70 arm, uh, you know, is right up there. And I think Blake Mitchell is the other seven arm that we have in this draft class. Another catcher. Quick Colton Kendrick. I found my scouting report on him and I noted that he had the best raw power in the 2015 draft, but there was a split camp. Some people thought he did a groove swing and lacked bat speed and would have trouble making contact. So, um, but yes, that's a, I'm very sheepish about that. six. <laughs> It was Where 80 raw, now? but but not, not not very usable when it all came down to it. He played in the Frontier League last year. Hmm. Briefly. We should get him on as a podcast guest. Okay. All right. <laughs> you don't seem excited <laughs> by that. The best fielder in this year's draft class is? Well, we're just going to stick with Enrique Bradfield because he, he covers a lot of ground in center field, and it's not just tremendous speed. It's the ability to recover. I mean, I, I'm sorry. It's not just he has tremendous speed, but it's also that he takes very efficient reads and routes. So I, I think it's it's him. Uh, you know, I think Connor Burns stands out among the catchers. Uh, he's one of Jonathan's mm-hmm. guys, Long Beach State. Am I right? Yep. Yep, Long Beach State. And I'll throw an honorable mention, and we saw it on display in the College World Series. You don't often have a first baseman kind of get mentioned in this group. But Trey Morgan, LSU, Tremendous defender at first base and made a game-saving play against Wake in the semifinals, or LSU probably doesn't win the, the national championship. Trying to think of the last time we had a, a first base. Evan first White. Base. Yeah, that's that's the name that came to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the mound and best pitching tools. Start with. Well, no, let's start with. Let's start with a fastball. Why don't we? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're going to hear this guy's name a few times in, in this section, but Paul Skeens, LSU, we talked about our choice. We would pick him number one, uh, and he has a official 28% chance of going number one to the Pirates as we record this podcast. But, you know, transfers from Air Force to LSU, he's SEC Pitcher of the Year, he leads NCAA Division One in strikeouts, and he breaks Ben McDonald's school and SEC record. He leads the nation in strikeouts per nine innings and whip, and he's second in wins and ERA and opponent average. And, you know, the fastball is pretty good as a sophomore. It was 93-95, and he touched 99. And this year, he averaged 98. He hit 102. First College World Series start, what did he throw, 148 times or something? Like, crazy. Plus, just besides the velocity, it's got a flat approach angle with a ton of carry. Um, he commands it really well. Uh, you know, I, I've heard if you really want to quibble, maybe it's not optimal fastball shape, but I would submit when you're averaging 98 and you're throwing 140 times a game and it kind of comes in on this flat approach angle and you command it well, you could be forgiven for maybe slightly less than optimal shape. So uh, th- that was an easy one. I think Paul Skeens's fastball was an easy choice. In, in the Even though we do have another uh, 80 fastball on the list this year. Well, we I think we downgraded him, Jason. Oh, did we, down- did I, we downgrade I, I, it? George Clausen is fascinating. We saw him at the Combine. It, it's 80 velocity. It's below average control command. Uh, it, it doesn't have very good shape. He doesn't get great extension in his delivery. So it gets hit more than it should. So it's 80 velocity, but it plays more like a 70. And we have not given out many 80 fastball grades over the years. Going back to 2014, if you remove Klassen now, that leaves us with six. Hunter Green? Skeens. You know what? I don't see... Hunter Green, uh, you guys had him as a 70. Because it was a little flat. You remember that was the one concern about his fastball. It was, you know, velocity, but it was a little true. We're tough graders. We're tough graders. Mm, we try I, mean, to I was giving Paul Skeen C plus for for striking out twelve and in seven innings and giving up two runs in a college world That's series right. game. And I C plus him and it and felt like it really should have been a C because it was one of his worst starts of the year. So You you know we had one last year. Come on. You you know who <laughs> <laughs> we're we're so tired, Jason. Come on. Sorry. I can't I can't remember anybody Sorry. from last year's. It has been class. it was Ben Joyce. Oh uh, right. Yeah, right. So of course. Uh of course. prior to that, twenty eighteen gave Ethan Hankins an eighty. Uh yeah, it was electric great life too. Yep. Yeah. Man, thought we were gonna see great things out of him. It hasn't been able to stay healthy. And uh speaking of not staying healthy, Tyler Kolick got an eighty grade fastball in twenty fourteen along with Nick Birdie. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Curveballs. Who's got the best curveball in the class? Well, I think the one thing that we've noticed, there aren't that many people throwing curveballs at all, or not nearly as many, and they're not as good. The slider seems to be the breaking ball of choice. But Josh Noth, he's uh, from New York, high schooler, uh, is the only 60 curveball that we have uh, in, in the draft class. And... You know, and for good reason. It is nasty. It's plus uh, regularly high elite level spin rates, routinely north of 3,000, 3,100 RPM. So it is a really, really good pitch. All right. Moving right along. Sliders. Who's got the best slider in the class? Already 
you, you forewarned us, Jim, that we we're going to be talking about this guy a lot in the segment. Yeah, I'm just going to answer Paul Skeens to just about any question you asked me in the pitching segment. Um, and it is Paul Skeens, uh, whose slider is pretty ridiculous as well. It got better under the the tutelage of, of renowned LSU pitching coach Wes Johnson, who hopefully will become renowned as the head coach at, at Georgia. But uh, 85, 89 mile an hour slider with a ton of break, huge swing and miss and chase rates. I don't know how anybody hits Paul. I mean, the reason he had the year he had, I mean, you're sitting there, you're trying to gear up to hit, you know, 98 to 102, and then he can throw a slider almost 90 miles an hour that that veers sharply uh, to the left. I don't know how anybody hits that guy. And, and he commands his pitches too. Like, like that's the thing. Like, not only is this slider just a weapon, he can he can land it for strikes. It's not one of these chase it out of the strike zone that you wonder a little bit how it plays against better hitters. You know, he could throw that that wicked slider for strikes too. So best fastball, best slider, best pitching prospect. All right. Change up. Well, this gets interesting. We sort of have a couple subcategories. Uh, if we're going pure just change up, Ryan Bruno of Stanford, uh, it's his go-to pitch. Uh, the bullpen, obviously, command issues we saw in postseason, but uh, – the upside of that pitch is absolutely ridiculous. He, was, he got a miss rate of 65% on the pitch this year, and hitters hit 058 against that pitch. Now, Rhett Lauder of Wake Forest may be a little more consistent because he can land it in the zone more, but Bruno's, it's just, it's ridiculous. And then when you expand and you know, look at things like a splitter, Hurston Waldrop splitter, people saw again during the postseason. 63% miss rate and 062 batting average against that is just an incredibly nasty pitch. And, you know, even if he ends up in a bullpen one day, you know, there's some concern about that uh, because of command and things like that, that splitter is going to get big league hitters out. All right. Our final category, best tools in the pitchers, uh, half of the bracket control. And it's not going to be Paul Skeens, but but his control is not bad. It, well, it's good. good. I mean, <laughs> he averaged one point five walks per nine innings, and if you if you gave him extra credit for controlling premium stuff, then you could argue is the best control. But I'm going to go with Rhett Lauder, who has a chance to be the the number two. Probably is the favorite, according to uh, No Posk, to be the the second college pitcher draft after Paul Skeens, two time. Wake uh, ACC Pitcher of the Year at Wake Forest matched up with with Skeens in a tremendous pitching doodle, duel in the in the semifinals. Skeens won eight scoreless. Louder went seven scoreless. LSU eventually won in eleven innings with the aforementioned Tommy Tanks hitting a home run. Um, but Louder, you know who Jonathan mentioned, has one of the best changeups. He he's got three pitches: fastball, much improved slider this year, wicked changeup, and just not only does he throw strikes, he throws quality strikes. And he just is consistent every time out this year for Wake. You know, it, it's one thing, and I'm not saying it's easy to have dominant stuff. Like, when you have stuff like Paul Skeens, yeah, you can go out and just overpower guys. And Louder's got good stuff, but it's not overwhelming stuff. It's not 70s and 80s. And he goes out, it seemed like, every week and just pounded the strike zone and put the ball where he wanted and and won. I, I think, I want to say the only start that he made this year that Wake Forest lost was that 11-inning start in the, in the College World Series semifinals. He went 15-0, and they were 17-0 until that 18th start. 
Um, and, and that's, I mean, as good as his stuff is, it's pretty solid. I think it's his ability to control and command it that makes him what he is. All right. There you have it. The best tools in the 2023 draft class. And now we turn our attention to the futures game. And Can I ask for, for for a moment of silence for one second, Jason? And I'll explain what, what why. Are we, uh, what are we mourning here? Serpentine draft. You know, I'm always... You know, no, this is not silence. I, oh, I'm going to no, set up the mo- You want silence from us, but so you no, can talk. No, I'm going to tell you. We'll have a quick moment. Of, but like <laughs> serpentine from the movie, from the movie, the in-laws. I, I, if I remember oh. correctly, Jonathan, yes. I think Peter Falk was telling Alan Arkin, yes. serpentine, serpentine, oh. in the famous scene. Wow. Alan Arkin died uh, last week. The late Alan Arkin, great comedian, great actor. Um, and so, quick, uh, quick moment of silence for Alan Arkin before we have yet another Serpentine Serpentine draft. draft. Nicely done. All right, here we go. Uh, So we have, uh, I I don't, was two years ago the first time we did this? I feel like we've done it more than just the past two years. I used to do a story on it where I would track it at the Futures game, but we didn't turn it into a contest for $25,000 until 2021. And in 2021, uh, Jonathan came out on top by a score of 19 to 10, uh, largely uh, on the strength of Spencer Torkelson, who hit 10 home runs. Mm-hmm. He also had, man, he had he had quite a team. Both of you did. I mean, look at the names on these teams. He had Julio Rodriguez hit four for him. Riley Green hit four. Bobby Wood Jr. only tallied one. Uh, Jim had Adley Rutschman, who went deep five times. Nolan Gorman, three. Marco Luciano won and Jared Kelnick won for a total of 19 to 10. And then last year, Jim exacted revenge. Uh, he trounced Jonathan by the score of 33 to 14. I feel like you're uh, editorializing. Oh, that's yeah, a trouncing. That's, Come a on. Trou- that's a trouncing. Okay. I, I scored more home only runs get, last get year for, than you did in two years, so that's a you get thing. you get credit for one win though. A win's a win. win. Win's a win. I, yeah. I I'm Mister a win's a win, but I'll just say that I I had as many home runs last year as you did in two, so I think that counts as a trouncing. You would have to get forty three home runs Fine. this year plus yeah. whatever I do. So anyway, and and uh, I felt attacked. John Kenzie Noel. And Matt Walner, some some kind of unheralded guys, at least not like top one hundred types, uh, led the way for you. Perfect BP. Year. That that was my like I, I said this. I've done very little prep, like because we're we're busy. But last year, I actually looked at the rosters. And I was like, man, there's guys who are going to go off in BP. Like the, the draft just came together perfectly for me. I was I was so excited to get Noel and, and Matt Walner, um, and uh, yeah. So anyway. Uh, oh, we haven't, we haven't decided who uh, who picks first this year. I, I think mm-hmm. Jonathan should pick first because I won last year. I, I, I finished in last place last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he won. He won. He won. No Posk has conducted a quick home run derby lottery weighing our odds. And, and Jonathan came out ahead. I, I think it's fair. Whoever. And I'm not doing that for me. Like, yes, I do. I am sneaky and I have ulterior motives a lot of time. I'm not doing that because I have two guys I want. I have no idea who I want, but I feel like it would be fair. And I feel like I picked last year. Because Jonathan, we, we, most of our drafts are on the spot, but this one we actually have results from. So I, I think we, Jonathan, should should get the number one pick. All right, Team Mayo one one overall in the twenty twenty three futures game, unofficial home run derby draft is 
I'm going to go with James Wood of huh. your Washington Nationals. I was not expecting that. Who, who were you expecting? I, or, or do you I, not I want to tell me? A, I no, had not want to mock. Well, I can't tell you. I can't trip you off as to who you should pick here. No, it's it's funny because I don't know. Like I, th- there's about eight guys you could pick number one. That's I, I don't feel like there's clear standouts. I, I'm gonna. Stick. You guys should have laid odds on the uh, number one pick, and well, I guess that would have worked. We didn't have time we, to we submit all the data to Nopask, uh, or I guess it would be for her das <laughs> something yeah so anyway i'm going to take heston kerstad of, mm-hmm. of afl greatness with my first choice number two overall yep um uh and now i'm torn um uh, uh the sounds of jim Callis hemming and hawing i know see i'm i'm, I'm looking computer. real quick I'm mulling which of these guys are on Jonathan's top 30 teams because he's more likely to take them. Wow. Wow. James Wood, not one of my top 30 teams. Really getting into it. You know, I'm just going with my gut. I'm going with my gut. Give me Colt Keith. I'm going Colt Mm -hmm. Keith with my next pick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. I like that pick. I like that I will say neither of you has taken uh, the player that I would have taken first. And and I hope you're going to do your leftovers draft to see if you can beat us with players we didn't draft. I'll do a leftovers draft. Okay. All right. Uh, (laughs) uh, All right. So I'm going to take Junior Caminero. Okay. That's like a Sam Dykstra pick right there. Yeah. Actually, I'm only taking Sam Dykstra guys so far. Um, Was that who you thought? Not who I thought. No. Like like I said, there's like eight guys who I all have. I was actually asking Jason, but okay. Okay. (laughs) Because he he was the one who said. Has either of us picked my guy's guy still yet? out there? No, okay. my guy's still out there. Wow. Okay. Um, and then I think I'm gonna take Jackson Churio. All right. Was was that your guy, Jason? Not my guy. Still taking all Sam's guys. You really are trying to take all Sam's guys. That is correct. Uh, by the way, not by design. <laughs> this is crazy. This way, if I don't win, I'll blame Sam. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm just going going my gut. Pains me not to take the best prospect in baseball, but I'm not picking him. I know. I'm going to go Tyler Soderstrom. That's my guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Noel V. Marte. Uh, I was kind of hoping Marte might last. And the final pick. My final two picks. No, no, you just get one. You you have three players already. Oh, I forgot we're only doing four. Man. Yeah, four and four. I got to tell you, uh, Jason. You're going to have a pretty good uh, leftover team here. Yeah, there's some guys. There's some guys. You know what? Hold on. I'm doing some quick number crunching here, and I'm tempted. I'm going to take Yankeel Fernandez. All right. He was on my short list. It, my concern, I don't, Jonathan, I don't know if this was your concern. I think Jackson Holiday's such a good hitter. Yeah. I could just see him going out there and having a very professional batting practice and rifling line drives all over the place. And I don't want that. I, I want my guys trying to hit the ball on the second deck. That that's is tough. correct. That's why I avoided Jackson yep. Holiday. Or I didn't avoid him. I would have probably picked him with my next pick. Well, but like that's right. why I didn't yep. take him. Anyway, yep. so I like your Yankee L. Fernandez pick. He was he was on my list. I had eleven names. Mm-hmm. So now we'll see if Jason picks all three of my guys. My leftovers is his leftovers. Who, who Are you ready to pick? make your picks now, Jason? Before we wrap things up, uh, I, you need a little on. time. I can I can take I can take Brady House. Yes, he was on my list. I can take uh, I'll take 
Spencer Jones. Yes. He's on my list. He was on my list. <sighs> Let's you see. Have to. On, on the spot have to here. Take him. On the spot here. You have to take him. The, the number one overall prospect? Come on. How do you not? How did both of you not for eight, eight picks? <laughs> Fine. Fine. I will take Jackson Holland. Well, that's what I'm saying. Of the remaining... You don't have to. I'm no, sorry. I'll, I'll take. I'll, no, I'll take. Pressured you into that. You, guy, get, not, guy never gets any respect. <laughs> I, I actually had twelve guys on my list, and you've taken three of my yep. four guys who weren't drafted. We'll see if you take my fourth. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. kind of stuck. I'm kind of stuck here now. Uh, shoot. Don't take Nassim Nunez. <laughs> I'm not taking Nassim Nunez <laughs> or Victor, Victor Scott. Scott. Yeah, good choice. The speedster. Uh, I don't know. National League guy. Take a National League guy. I think there's a clear guy to take here. Hmm. Interesting. What if I take Lawrence Butler? You can do that. Yeah, he was on my list too. I'll take Lawrence Butler. Okay. Was there your other guy Jackson Merrill? Well, Jim? no, he's he's kind of in that Jackson Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I would have taken, taken Dalton Rushing. I think Dalton Rushing could just crush the ball. Huh. I'm a big yeah. Dalton Rushing fan. Yep. All right. So. There are the teams for the uh, – 2023 unofficial futures game home run derby draft team mayo james wood junior camonero jackson churio and yankeel fernandez uh jim's team heston kerstad colt keith tyler soderstrom and noelvi Marte. three of my four guys were in the afl last year but uh now, now what are the rules are we allowed to go bias. to like the futures game like like welcome center and like be pumping these guys up. Like, am I oh, allowed? Yeah, I know. I know. Like, Jonathan, to like Jonathan getting James Wood's I, head. I, like, I'm like, convinced I won two years ago because I told Spencer Torkelson. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't. I'm going to sidle up to James Wood and be like, "Hey, James, like uh, scouts are saying oh, you're swinging see? for the fences a little too much. They'd like to see you work the ball around the field." Now, see, and you went negative. See, when when you <laughs> that's not negative. Low, I'm, I'm trying to help him. I'm like, going to fire up, up my guys. I'm not going after your guys. Just, uh, I'm getting t-shirts. I'm getting t-shirts. Volumes. I, I'm getting about t-shirts what kind made. of human beings we my, are. My right t-shirts there. are going to say "Team Callus" on the front and "Hate Mayo" on the back because I, hate, you yeah. know, I hate mayo. Yeah. Um, and and all I'm right. going to get t-shirts for all these guys. I'm going to have to get that done before I come out to Seattle. Plenty of time. All right, let's move on to the mailbag and wrap things up with a question from the Lizard King is my ace at Miami underscore or underscore nothing on Twitter asks who do you th- who do you guys think is the most advanced high school prospect in this draft class? position player or pitcher that you can see going through the minor leagues very quickly. Jonathan, you can go first. Yeah. Um, you, you, you immediately knew who you wanted to answer. I knew exactly who I wanted because to me, Noble Meyer, uh, who is the best high school pitcher in the class and will be the first high school pitcher taken and might be the third pitcher taken overall, uh, potentially, uh, does not act or think pitch like a high school guy. And I know that high school arms can sometimes take a little while, but you know, I talked to him at NHSI, not only is his stuff really good and it's going to play. I mean, we're talking two above average pitches at least. I think the changeup is going to get better, but he understands pitch design. He understands data. He integrates it and uses it on the mound. I think you get this kid into pro ball with pro instruction and it's going to, he's going to be one of these young guys who gets there sooner than your typical high school pitcher does just because of that advanced feel and understanding of the craft. Is he, uh, is, is that at all Andrew Painter-like, would you say? I, I think the combination of stuff and feel for doing it 
is Andrew Painter like, but I think in some ways, and I, I, you know, I haven't talked to Andrew Painter as much as I did with Noble Meyer. So I have a better feel for what, you know, how Meyer sort of integrates all that information. But I think that's fair. All right. And your guy, Jim? Well, you guys give me crap all the time for not oh, yeah, here one we guy. Go, two guys. So I'm going to pick two guys I can't separate. I, I mean, it, for me, it would be Walker Jenkins. Are or, they Siamese twins? <laughs> yeah, that would that would be an interesting draft pick. Um, now, I mean, like it's either Walker Jenkins or Max Clark for me. Um, you know, I could argue Jenkins because I, I think they're similar hitters. I think Jenkins has got more power. I think Max Clark has a little bit more speed and quickness and and athleticism to him. But I think both those guys are the type of guy who can hit the ground running and, and, and get to the big leagues very quickly. So I'm, I am going to live up to my, my deserved reputation and pick two guys. <laughs> I will pick both Walker Jenkins and Max Clark. It, it's a coin flip. It, it's, it's a coin flip as to which guy's better. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. We will next see you on the other side of the draft. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Max Clark for taking the time to talk to us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.